It's been great hearing those stories the last two weeks. We've heard four of them now, and we're waiting to hear yours. I know that you all have a story, an only God story, that's worth sharing. And sometimes I think it's easy to be intimidated because we've started off with four that have done excellent. But let's remember, it's not them that makes the story excellent. It's God that makes the story excellent. And so you can share your story. Uh, you can write it out for us. You can type it out online. On the webpage, there's a link to that uh, because we want to hear your story and we want you to be able to share your story because your story is worth sharing if it's an only God story. Amen? Amen? All right, there you go. <clears throat> Make sure you didn't fall asleep on me yet. <clears throat> so last week we introduced our only God can vision, this understanding that we're at this time and place in the life of our church and in the life of our culture where we believe that we need to depend upon God for what only he can do. Instead of looking to what we can do in our own strength, we need to say this is an only God moment that we need to share. And so we're going to start off of going through uh, in November. We had a group of our leaders that got together and rehashed our vision, mission, and values. And that's what we're in the middle of. Last week we talked about our vision. Would you say that with me? Only God can. This week we're going to talk about our mission or how we go about accomplishing that vision. And this is two phrases, compelled by compassion, called to unity. Let's say those together. Compelled by compassion, called to unity. And then our core values that we'll be taking a look at over the next several weeks as well, devoted to truth, daring to act, and developing one another. Let's say those together as well. Devoted to truth, daring to act, and developing one another. But for today, we talk about this idea of being compelled by compassion. About 13 times, not about, specifically 13 times in the Gospels, we read that Jesus either mentions compassion or is moved by compassion. And the word compassion, just in case you're interested in the original language, is pronounced something like splanknizo, just in case you're curious about that. But it literally means to be moved in your inner parts. Your gut is wrenched. Your heart is broken. What you saw made you sick to your stomach. And we see, talking about this with Jesus in Matthew 14, that because he was filled with compassion, he healed their sick. And in Matthew 15, he followed those, he fed those who had been following him for three days. And in Matthew 18, in the parable of the master, as Jesus is telling the story of the man who had a heavy debt to his master, just as we have a heavy debt towards God, it said that the master was moved by compassion and forgave the debt just as God has forgiven our debt. In Matthew 20, we read that Jesus had compassion on the blind and healed them, and immediately they followed him. Last week, we looked at Mark 9, the story of the demon-possessed boy, and the dad called out to Jesus and begged for him to act in compassion. And boy, did he ever. He healed the boy. And then in Luke 10, the parable of the Good Samaritan, when the Samaritan man uh, saw that, that the beaten up man 
When he saw him, unlike the religious leaders who just walked by, it says the Samaritan, he had compassion on him. And he acted out of the compassion, out of the inner feelings that he had in his gut and in his heart to help the man and to help restore his life. And in Luke 15, in the parable of the prodigal son, when the son has blown his inheritance and finally realizes he'd be better off as a slave or a servant in his father's household, and as he's walking home, and as his father sees him far away from the porch, Jesus tells the story that the father was filled with compassion and did something no Jewish man would do. He hiked up his robe and he took off in a dead sprint towards his son, not to knock some sense into him, but to embrace him. And tears came flowing down the father's face. And the father threw a celebration because he was moved by compassion for his son who was lost had now come home. Compassion is at the heart of the gospel. It's at the heart of the the act of Jesus laying down his life for us so that we would be saved. One of my favorite accounts is in Mark 1, where we see that there's a leper that comes to Jesus. A leper, a despised person who hadn't been touched in years by anybody out of fear that the contagiousness of the disease... And in the story, it is clear that Jesus, it says that he was moved by compassion for this man. And so what does he do? Does he speak healing into the man? No. Before he speaks healing into the man, he reaches out his hand and he puts his hand on the leper. He touches the man who was untouchable because he knew that he had more than just a physical wound. And he touched him in his compassion. And then he spoke healing into his life. Friends, we are to be compelled by compassion. To have our hearts so utterly broken for the world and the people in the world that we are moved to do things that we would not ordinarily do. And so today, we take a look at Matthew chapter 10, excuse me, Matthew chapter 9 and chapter 10, but I need to set the stage here for what is happening, what is happening in this passage. You see, chapter 8 and 9, Jesus has just gotten through with the Sermon on the Mount, this great message where he talks about things and acting in ways that we wouldn't ordinarily act, and more importantly, talking about the condition of our hearts And then in chapter 8 and 9, Jesus in a series of 10 miracles goes and shows what the compassionate life is all about. He has five miracles of grace in chapter 8 that show the width of his reach to those the furthest out. He reaches out to lepers, to Gentiles, to women, to cowardly disciples, and to the demon-possessed. And in chapter 9, we see five miracles of freedom that teach the way the people uh, come to freedom is through faith in Jesus. And Jesus sees faith. He's touched by it. He's approached by it. He's pursued by it. And where faith is allowed to awaken deep impressions of who he is, then Jesus reaches out in his compassion and offers a healing touch. And so after those ten miracles have happened in rapid, sex, in rapid succession in a way that just boom, 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 it's designed to get your attention and to fire you up when you're reading these ten miracles that happen, then at the end of it there's this summary statement that talks about everything that had happened. And here's how Matthew chooses to describe what happened in the life of Jesus at this point. 
It says in Matthew 9, 35, Jesus went through all the towns and the villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. And then here's part of our key verse. When he saw the crowds, when he realized that all these people, of course he probably realized it already, he he was fully human and fully God, But when he saw the vast need that was there and realized that this was replicated in every village and every city around the world, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. He was moved in his gut. His heart was broken. He knew that something had to be done because they were harassed and helpless, literally mangled and cast down. They were walking with hindrance. They were barely getting by, like sheep without a shepherd. And so as we ask the question this morning, what does it mean to be moved by compassion? What does it mean to be compelled by compassion? The first step that we see is this, be moved. Let yourself be moved to the point of tears when you see someone who is broken. Don't just say, oh, that's Uncle Joe, that's the way he's always been. No, be moved to the point of your heart being shattered when you see what is happening in the life of a person that you love or a person that you don't even know yet. Be moved by compassion. The trouble is, is that in our culture today, we allow ourselves to be, fear, to be moved by other emotions besides compassion. I know that I have a tendency to be moved by both fear and anger. When I see someone who's struggling, I am afraid about what it might cost me. I am afraid that it may not work. Or... I am moved to anger. What do you think it is that got that person in that situation anyway? Their own bad choices? They should just have to deal with it on their own. Pride creeps in right behind anger. And I ask you, what other mental or emotional responses move you besides compassion? And how can you replace them with compassion? Because mission is not fueled by our disgust for people because they are horrible sinners or even out of a sense to right people, but rather because Jesus' heart breaks for them. And so when we pray and when we ask, God, move me, what we are saying, God, break my heart for the things that break your heart. Let my heart be shattered as much as your heart was shattered. Don't let me sleep tonight after I see someone who is struggling and in such bad shape. That's a big prayer to give up some sleep over it, isn't it? Let me be so moved that I can't get that person off of my mind or off my heart. Jesus' prayer for us, I believe, is that we would be moved by compassion as He was moved by compassion. Would you be willing to be moved today? Would you be willing to have your heart broken? 
It might feel like you're in a worse place when you have your heart broken. But the reality is, is that you're in a better place. Because you get to be an instrument of healing. Be moved. And then in verse 37, Jesus continues and he says to his disciples, his response to compassion is the birth of the church. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are so few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Interestingly enough, this word for send out here is literally the same word that Jesus uses when he casts out demons or when it says he casts out demons. It means to be cast out. And maybe we don't need the demons cast out of us, but maybe we need to have that sitting on our rear ends cast out of us so that we can get out and actually do something. And so after be moved, we see the clear instruction from Jesus is to ask God to move. That our response to having our hearts broken is to give our filleted hearts before God and to say, God, would you do something so dramatic? Would you move in their lives? Would you raise up people to help them? The harvest is plentiful, and he is the Lord of the harvest, and he does not want to see the harvest go to waste. And our prayers asking is so vital and so important. Have your heart broken. Be moved. And then ask God to move. What would it mean? What would it look like if we prayed for our neighbors regularly? Asking God to send someone into their lives. What would it mean if we prayed for our church's physical neighbors who do not come from a Christian background, who have little to no Christian influences in their life, for God to move in them? God, the harvest is plentiful. The workers are few. I know I've shared with you before about my little girl's heart for the street girls in Kenya and how she prayed that God would send someone, and he did. Ask God to move. Well, that ends the chapter, but I don't know if you know this about the chapters and verses in the Bible, but Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, or Paul, or anybody else didn't put them in there. It wasn't until about 1,000 A.D. or so a guy was on horseback and came up with the idea to put chapters and verses in the Bible. And so while he was on horseback, he wound up writing the chapters and verses in the Bible. That's why some of them make perfect sense where they're at, and some of them, like this one, make no sense at all. Let's give the guy a break. He was riding a horse and reading his Bible at the same time. Not the same as texting and driving, just to be clear, okay? But listen to what happens in chapter 10 verse 1. You remember who Jesus was speaking to at the end of chapter 9, right? He was speaking to his disciples. Be moved. Ask God to move. And then look what Jesus does in chapter 10, verse 1. Jesus called his 12 disciples to him and gave them the authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. Did you see what happened there? 
Jesus said, pray. Pray that God would send people to do what I have been doing. And then he takes a breath and says, okay, the answer to your prayer is here. It's y'all. And, and so we see that, 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 that the third response after we are moved and after we ask God to move, that the next response is for us to move. We are an answer to our own prayer. God has sent us to be the answer to our own prayers. When we, our hearts are moved with compassion, so often when we pray, God, would you just send somebody to do it? He's just waiting for us to realize we're the ones that he's already sent. Because God doesn't want to send people out who just understand the situation. God doesn't just want to send people out who have a specialty in the situation. First and foremost, God wants to send people out who have a broken heart for the situation and for the people who are involved. And if your heart is broken, I want to suggest to you that you need to be a part of answering your own prayer. Move. How can you be God's answer to your own prayer? I grew up, um, well, I didn't grow up with him, but I went to college with him, and I did a lot of growing up in college, fortunately, with a guy by the name of Tyler Maxwell. Um, he, uh, I actually took his wife to homecoming one year at his request because he already had a homecoming date when he got the hots for her and decided that it would be best to trust her to my care instead. I was a gentleman, and they're married, and they've been married for 20 years now. About seven years into their marriage, he had a conversation with his wife Amy one night, and he said, I think that God has been laying on my heart for the last several years that we're supposed to be missionaries. He was scared to death to have that conversation. She responded to him and said, God's been laying that on my heart for several years too. He said, okay, I think we're supposed to go to Africa. I don't know where, but it's supposed to be Africa. And she said, God's been laying that on my heart for several years too. And he said, okay, well, I think we're supposed to work with orphans in Africa. And she said, God's been laying that on my heart for several years as well. Isn't it funny when we accept an only God can kind of mentality that we understand that God has been preparing the conversations that he's wanted us to have all along. And so Tyler and Amy began a journey to seek out where they could serve at in Africa. At the time, he was serving at the Missouri Baptist Children's Home working with youth. And they ended up moving to Colorado so that they could get out of debt, work for Coca-Cola. He was a Coke dealer for a while. And they started to seek out different missions opportunities. They had one they were pretty serious about. And about that time, I got a call from a missions organization called ACM International. It was the first group that I, have ever, I had ever prayed for missionaries when I was seven years old. We were sending a missionary from our church to the Congo, and I prayed every night for them that they wouldn't get eaten by lions, and they didn't. But it starts with prayer. Should have prayed for gorillas. That's what they have in the Congo, but that's another story. 
They asked me, they said, Dustin, we need some trustees. Would you be willing to be a trustee? It's an organization that is in transition. We need to get younger. We need to recruit more missionaries. And I said, well, sure, but here's the deal. I'm committed to my friends, Tyler and Amy. Um, They haven't found who they want to go with yet, um, but they want to help out with, with orphans. And they said, well, that's great. We actually need some help in Kenya with street kids over there, with an orphanage that we run. And I said, that's awesome. I'm going to call them and tell them about this. I, and then I did what I always do. I hung up the phone and I started doing something else and I forgot about it for a couple of weeks. So Tyler and Amy had been going down the road with this other organization and they had been fasting and praying and felt like God said to them, you're going to get the answer to where you're going by the end of the week. And on Thursday, they received word from the other missions organization that it was a no, that it wasn't a good fit for them at the time. And they were crushed. How could God not answer their prayers? And then the next day, it's Friday, and I had the day off, and somewhere along the lines, probably when I was on the golf course or something, it hit me. Oh, yeah, you idiot. You never talked to Tyler and Amy and told them about ACMI. And so Friday, on the last day of the week, when God said that he was going to speak to them, he used me. And I told them about ACMI, and they broke down in tears because they realized that God had spoken. Even through our brokenness, even though we did everything we could to mess it up, God still spoke. Tyler and Amy have been over in Kenya for 10 years now. After serving for a couple of years in what seemed like a fruitless effort, they realized that rather than working in the orphanage, God was calling them to go out to the streets and to minister to the street kids who were still on the streets. So many answers to prayer happened through all that. They were discouraged. They were beaten up. But man, like God was faithful. And he introduced them to a man named John. John is a Kenyan who had grown up on the streets. And now, because he had found Christ and his heart was still broken for street kids, he was looking for how he could reach back out to the street kids. And Tyler and John formed a beautiful partnership. Let me let John tell the story, though, here on the video. I'm from Kenya. I grew up in the streets of Nairobi, uh, in the family of four. And uh, we are from different dads. I never met my dad. So we grew up in a house where there was no father, but I saw many men coming in and going. Growing up, me and my brother, we find ourselves in the streets, so we kind of raised ourselves. There's a cold, there's abuse, there's violence, there's addictions. You face rejection from community, from the government, and also from the relatives. It's bad. I started using alcohol at a very young age, probably at seven years. I started using glue at the same time. And that was to help numb uh, the pains. Glue, it's a, it turns someone to a simple term, it's a zombie, because that's how they behave. 
it messes up their brain. Society sees street boys as uh, an outcast of the society. They are called chokora. Chokora means trash. You can imagine if someone is calling you trash, they will not have anything to do with you. In most cases, they are beaten. Nobody will talk or speak up for them. After I received Christ, that's when I started healing. If it wasn't for Christ, uh, uh, I would be dead by now. When I'm reading the scriptures and he's calling me his son, saying he's my father, that one made me feel loved and led me to desire to reach out to other street boys. I wanted them to experience the same thing I'm experiencing. There was peace, there was joy, there was contentment. Uh, through Africa, we are on a mission of making disciples from the street. Making disciples will go and make other disciples. We use football as access ministry. We use art classes access ministry, where the boys, they will come, do art, and then we'll share scriptures. We'll do Bible studies with them. We're also taking boys to vocational training. We're taking them to schools. My favorite part is seeing boys transforming their lives, seeing boys coming to Christ. When we baptize them, that gives me joy. People who comes from here to Kenya and they spend their time with the street boys, it's big for the street boys. Someone who will come hug them, that helps that boy realize people loves me. Uh, I'm not alone in this life. Seeing John's face always just, <laughs> it breaks my heart. He knew no English uh, until about 10 years ago, and he picked up a Gideon's Bible and taught himself English from the Word of God. Um, and seeing the people who are just compelled by compassion when they hear the story um, has been an amazing journey for me. Um, it's been an amazing journey um, because we had a, a 20-plus-year veteran of mission work in Kenya literally a few years ago said, I want to stop doing what I'm doing and help you doing what you're doing because I haven't seen anything this effective before. I served as a recruiter, um, and this, this spring, uh, two couples that I've been working with over the past couple of years will get on an airplane, probably one in late yet in February, the other couple in March to go over, and our team will double in size on the ground. God is doing amazing things because hearts have been broken, because people have had compassion. Not only that, but this little church on the east side of Columbus made a decision a few months ago that we, instead of giving 10% to missions, excuse me, instead of giving 6% to missions, that East Point Christian Church was going to give 10% to missions. And as a result of that decision that makes no sense in a church that's struggling financially, but yet being compelled by compassion and believing in God, we are going to pick up the Maxwells as a monthly sponsor from now on. We will be a monthly partner with your tithes and offerings. And I can't wait till this pandemic is over and I get to drag several of you over there 
and then I have to drag you home because you do not want to leave. But it's not just all about giving. The reality is, is that when our hearts are broken, our hearts are filled with compassion, we receive so much in return. On our last trip over to Kenya, I took a group from our church in Omaha. Uh, Kristen's sister also went with us. Um, Kristen's sister had not been immersed yet. She had been um, resisting. Um, she had talked about it, but just wasn't ready to do it yet. That week, as we were there, we got to celebrate baptisms with the street kids. And we had, um, whenever we would baptize one of the kids, we would have an American on one side and a Kenyan on the other to show our unity in the gospel. And as we were baptizing these kids, I, I nudged Kristen. I said, do you need to talk to your sister? She said, yeah, I think I do. She went over and talked to her sister, and a few minutes later, her sister climbed into a hastily made baptistry made out of Kenyan bricks and a liner of plastic, and on one side, her sister, and on the other side, a former street girl named Adela, who is now a leader in the ministry, baptized Kristen's sister into Christ. And I'm telling you that the more you're moved by compassion, the more you will be blessed in the ways that matter. That's what happened to us. And I'm convinced that's what only God can do when our church is compelled by his compassion. Father, it is not easy for us to choose compassion over fear or anger or despair, but Lord, that is what we choose this morning. We pray, Lord, that we would be a church defined by our compassion, that no matter what anybody says about our beliefs or about whether they agree with us, that they would be able to look at us and to know that we are a church that is compelled by God's compassion. Break our hearts for what break yours. And as our hearts are broken, may we cry out to you, Lord. But may we also accept that we are a part of your answer to our own prayer. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen.